Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by Dale Jarrett. And we are midway through the month of May, which of course means Indy 500 here at NBC Sports. But before we get to Indy, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast, much later, DJ, I want to start by talking post-Kansas Speedway, very eventful cup race for NASCAR at Kansas Speedway. And of course, we'll start with Kurt Busch wins the race, now has nine consecutive seasons with at least one victory in the Cup Series. But I thought the most fascinating stat, DJ, was six car numbers that Kurt Busch has now won with in the Cup Series, five teams, four manufacturers. And I want to play what Kurt Busch said after the race. It's a lot of years, getting old. (laughs) A lot of great race teams, really cool people, great sponsors. For me, it, I just do my job behind the wheel. And early on uh, in my career, I was just thinking it was all about me, 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 making the difference. And all along, it's, it's everybody adds to this. And at the end of the day, however many years it's been and however many wins it's been, it's the same thing that I'll always be able to go to my dad, give him a hug, or um, team owner in Vegas, the Star Nursery guy, just say thank you for helping me make it in this NASCAR world. And now here we are with winning with Toyota and 2311, and this is my family. I know we've talked about this many times before, DJ, about this transformation that Kurt Busch has kind of gone through in his career, but he keeps giving us reasons to discuss it, whether it's, you know, this win at 2311 racing or going to Chip Ganassi racing and winning there and kind of resuscitating that team a little bit as well. In 20 years of covering NASCAR, I can't think of another driver who has changed his reputation as much as this guy, as Kurt Busch. And you were on a call with me earlier today, and you were talking about how early in his career, he wasn't really mature enough to handle yeah. all the success he had. He was 2004 Cup champion, and that came in his fourth season in the Cup Series. And we all know there have been some missteps along the way. So your take on what this Kansas victory meant for Kurt Busch and what it says about his career. Well, I think it says a lot about his career. Uh the transformation uh, of Kurt Busch. Uh, again, I think yeah, it's not just him. Uh, I think his brother's a part of a group that I will put there of of athletes and competitors that, that maybe have so much talent and success come their way at a young age, and they don't always do the right thing. Not that many of us did at, in our early 20s, uh, always doing the right thing. Right. Heck, some of us don't still at 60-something. So, uh, <laughs> not but, you, of course. But <laughs> I've seen – 
you know, Kirk Bush make a huge change and, and the understanding. And when I heard those words from him uh, about the people, and, and that's what it really took, it, it just took me back to thinking about probably more when, uh, somewhat when he was at Rouse, but more when he was at Penske and, and some of the language he used there towards his team, uh, towards Roger Penske himself. And uh, now we've seen a different person. Now, is part of that his maturity on his own? Is part of that his wife now, Ashley, uh, being a part of that and helping with this? Uh, but we're seeing a different person that's more appreciative of these opportunities and things. But I'll stand by something I said quite a while back. Kirk Bush has made every race team that he's been to a better team. And he's wanted all of these places. You talked about the numbers. It's just outstanding what he's been able to do. I think that was like the... 19th season that he's won a race, 18th or 19th that yeah. he's won. You yeah. said nine in a row, yeah. uh, which is just incredible for what he's been able to do. 34 a uh, couple of weeks. So he's a Hall of Famer before oh, yeah. yesterday uh, by far. Yep. And, uh, and you know, the his championship win at, at Homestead and, and winning that, that that was one of the most spectacular things with the, the wheel running off uh, and, and everything that transpired to go on and win that championship then. But yesterday to me – was maybe his most impressive thing that he's done in this sport. Wow. Uh, I, I just think that to take this race team uh, that is still building, uh, and, and those are some of Denny's words that they continue to build, and, and win at a racetrack that's a tough place to, to race at and to win at and, and do all of that, I, I think that that performance was – he realized yesterday that that might be their one and – best chance to, to win a race and get themselves into the playoffs. And he took and seized that opportunity. And, and I, I'm always amazed when I see these people and athletes do such extraordinary things in moments like that. And I really believe it was Kirk Bush's finest moment. Yeah, to be able to seize that opportunity and capitalize. And now he's probably going to be in the playoffs. And it didn't look like this team, frankly, for a <laughs> lot of the first three months of the season, might even be a factor for a championship. And you just said it there, DJ. I heard you say it earlier today as well. Um, this is a 2017 Daytona 500 winner. But this might be the biggest win of his career. I mean, I know yeah. that Daytona 500, obviously, that puts him in the Hall of Fame along yeah. with the championship, no question. But in some ways, is it sounds like what you're saying is this is even more impressive than Daytona. I really believe that. Now, now as far as maybe importance to the driver, right. obviously, there's nothing like the Daytona 500. I just think performance-wise and, and – Making it happen in the most, and, and I won't say the most unlikely, because, you know, he had run well at Atlanta. He had a few races where they had been running good, but luck hadn't been on their side. But to, to take the opportunity yesterday and, and to pass his brother, who was running extremely well on his Toyota, and then to go up, run down Kyle Larson, and really had to work hard. Larson was being smart, uh, taking the air away, uh, doing everything that he could and, and making it as difficult for Kirk Busch. And, and to to understand the situation that this was the fastest car he had had all year and, and to figure out a way to get by Kyle Larson, our, our defending Cup Series champion, uh, to, to do that. I, I really believe it was one of – I believe it was his best performance. And, again, it was his 13th race at 2311 Racing, which two cars this year for the first time, the number 45 Toyota that he was driving. And I agree with you, DJ. He makes every team better, Kurt Busch does. I'm just going to run through the list. So, Roush Fenway Racing is where he started, how to win there, and the championship there. Team Penske has wins there. Stuart Haas Racing wins there, wins the Daytona 500 there. 
Chip Ganassi Racing wins there, and now 2311 Racing. And I mean, I'll just throw it out there as well. Again, we're in May, so why not talk about <laughs> that he was the 2014 Indy yeah. 500 Rookie of the Year, finished sixth in his only Indy 500 start. That's amazing. He ran a season with James Finch and nearly took that car to victory lane at Sonoma, which is unfathomable. He made the playoffs with Furniture Row Racing, which won a championship with Truex, but Bush had several shots to win uh, in his lone year at Furniture Row and, and took them to the playoffs for the first time. Are we talking about one of the most adaptable, versatile drivers maybe in NASCAR history? I think you've hit, yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right on that. that that's the, probably the best way to look at him. He is certainly one of the most talented uh, race drivers. Just sheer driving ability and the talents and the understanding of what it takes to win uh, big races uh, and been big moments, and to do it with with a lot of these teams that hadn't won in situations like that. And, and you know, I, I know that uh, 2311 uh, got their win last year with Bubba at Talladega. Uh, this was a whole different whole different scenario uh, with the new car and, and adding a second team here. Uh, this was completely different. But you just think about the other teams to where, you know, they weren't performing at times at the highest level. And, and Kurt went in there as the driver and, and, and made things happen. And um, I just think I, – I really believe he's been – maybe his talents have been overshadowed some. And I'll put this in, in a two-part context that I think in the beginning, more towards the beginning – uh, that some of his outburst overshadowed his talents there. Uh, I think on the other side of it, Kyle, his brother, uh, his talents and his ability to win races and win a couple of championships has probably overshadowed Kirk a little bit too. But you can't take away the fact that the numbers speak for themselves. And to win all of these races with this many different teams, uh, with all the manufacturers, which I don't know of anybody else that's done that, uh, and then to – to go finish sixth uh, as yeah. a rookie at the Indianapolis 500, just incredible. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else definitely who's won Chevy, Ford, Dodge, Toyota. Obviously, you can't really now because Dodge yeah, is Dodge gone. Is yeah. So, yeah, it's really amazing to think about. And, yeah, you mentioned Kyle. I mean, I think part of the reason Kyle overshadows Kurt, I mean, for the longest time, he only had one championship or really the, the first 10 years, no championships. But I think all the other racing he does in Xfinity and truck, yeah. I think kind of put him in a different category. And, yeah. and Kurt, you know, to his credit also had talked up Kyle before he got to cup and said, uh -huh. Hey, this guy's better than me. And I mean, maybe it does make us kind of overlook him. Yeah. The years, but you know? can't we think all the way back to, and I think it was only one year of ownership for Kyle Busch in the Xfinity series with his own race team, right? That Kurt was the one that won a race for that race team. That's it true. wasn't right. Kyle uh, winning right. a race there, so uh, yeah. he was able to get it done whenever Kyle could. That's a great point. And now he comes to twenty three eleven racing and pretty much does what he did for Kyle Busch. Now for Denny Hamlin, a very emotional victory for everyone at twenty three eleven. Starting with, as I mentioned, the co team owner Denny Hamlin, who owns this team with Michael Jordan. Denny said this was more emotional than any of his wins as a driver. Bob Pockers, Fox Sports. Denny, did you say that this is the most excited you've been for any win, like even your own? Emotionally, for sure. I mean, I've been, I obviously have been excited for the day 200, 500, but I just, I don't know why this one just, it just feels bigger to me. I think a lot of it is because I, I, I watched it live. I, I think had I been on the other side of the track, you know, and just kind of looked at the pylon, it'd be one thing, but like I had a front row seat to it. And so... Yeah, and uh, and I don't show my emotion a lot, but I, I am an emotional person, and I, and I get emotional when like I get around the team guys, and and you know I just 
I, I got emotional when I hugged Billy at the pit box. Like, it's just because I see how excited they are. And it's like, and I know how hard they work. And it's like, you know, these people are part of, I mean, this is a family. Inside that small building we're in right now, it is a family. We are all very, very tight. And so uh, the wins just feel bigger for that reason. After this win by Kurt Busch, DJ, we saw Denny get a little bit emotional, get a little bit choked up. And then we saw Kurt Busch got choked up in the media center news conference talking about it, too, after he was told about Denny's reaction. Uh, it, there's things that an owner has to go through that are, are really heavy. And Denny has chosen this ownership role, and he's done it with integrity and class and ambition and motivation and I, it's things I would never want to put myself in position for. Um, he called me a year and a half ago, two years, and said, hey, I got a plan. And if it all works out, I'll be part of it. But wow, just learning some of the things, being close to him as a friend, but also as a racer. And then now he's my boss. Oh, there's a lot that goes into the ownership side. And that's why he is overwhelmed with emotions right now because of how much responsibility it all is and how much teamwork it takes and and so this this means a lot to me as well because we started this 45 car from scratch and a lot of guys girls people came from other teams and the spirit was we're, we're a bunch of rebels let's go do this you've been a driver dj and you know what it's like to i think somewhat be a part of a startup team because you drove for gibbs yeah. in his his early years the significance of what 2311 has accomplished here and, and why this was so emotional for denny and for kurt yeah and when i i heard denny yesterday and then i heard kurt talking about uh, those very things and why it might be more so for for denny I think the thing that came to my mind, and this might be a strange analogy in some way, but I look at Denny maybe being more emotional and so proud of this, kind of the way that we look, we as parents look at our kids and their accomplishments, which mean more to us than anything that we did. Uh, my dad had said that many times about things that I was able to do in, in my racing career, that it meant more than his championships and wins. And, and I know that, you know, watching my kids uh, uh, in their athletics and, and watching Zach play baseball and stuff, you know, I, I get more proud and more emotional about that than anything that I was able to accomplish. So this is kind of, you know, even though Denny has two daughters, he, this is kind of his baby right now of, of starting this up. You know, it was his idea to make this happen. Michael Jordan helped him make this happen. Uh, but to see this uh, come to fruition and then all of a sudden you've got two wins in this and you've got a car in the playoffs now. Yeah. Uh, I understand where Denny's coming from, but that's not a side of Denny Hamlin, as you <laughs> pointed out, that we see very often uh, that, that he allows us to, to see that. And, and so it, in knowing that he allowed that, you could tell just how much it meant to him. And, and I totally understand because you know this is, this is Denny's future in the sport. Uh, not that he doesn't have quite a few good years left driving uh, the race car, uh, but, but he's going to be around a long time as an owner and, and to make this happen, really impressive. And I've heard Denny kind of half joke about this, that he got this idea during the pandemic, during the, those few months in 2020 when we were all sitting around bored and had nothing to do. And Denny always needs something to do. And I've heard him kind of joke, I, you know, maybe half joke that that was when, hey, this is a good idea. But I'm struck, DJ, that like Kurt's there saying, I would never want to put myself in this yeah. position. Yeah. And I think Denny like understood what he was taking on here. And I think 
drivers do generally shy away from it. I mean, you, you yes. own you owned an Xfinity team for yes. a little while, so you know what I'm talking about here. It can be overwhelming, but I think Denny kind of plunged into it knowing what he was getting himself into. How have you seen him shoulder all this responsibility and accountability he's had since last year? Do you think he bit off more than he could chew, or do you think he's just sort of understood this was going to be a real long slog, but if he had the right plan, he could be successful? Yeah, I, I think that he went into it thinking that it wasn't going to affect him at all as in his driving uh, and, and what his day job was, uh, so to speak. Right. And you like to think that, that you can separate, but you really can't uh, because it requires something totally different, but it requires a lot of your time uh, and, and efforts. And along with that, time, other times that you might be thinking about your car and what you need to do. And, and even though this was during a time that he was putting all this together and making it happen, that there really wasn't any practice sessions to worry about. There wasn't much you could do to your race cars. You, you still have to think about what you're doing there, sponsor obligations, doing everything you need to. So, but I do believe it affected him. Uh, I think that we saw it affect him in the race car and is driving some. Uh, and I totally understood. Uh, you know, we've seen other race drivers try to do it, start these teams, uh, be an owner of a team, and drive for them. But here Denny was driving for someone else and starting uh, a team uh, at the same time and trying to put all of that together. I know he's got a lot of good people around him, but it can be overwhelming. And I, I think to to realize success this soon makes him pretty proud, and, and he should be, uh, yeah. because this was a huge undertaking. But I, I guarantee you, if Denny Hamlin were 100% honest with us, he would say there were some times that, that yes, it affected me because uh, I, I wasn't giving the attention that I needed to to my my driving. Well, it is really unique. Like you mentioned, I, the only other guy I can really think about who did it at this level and had success is, is Earnhardt driving yeah. for Childress and then having DEI as well. And I was struck by Sunday during the, the, the race at Kansas, apparently Gabe Hart at one point, Chris Gabe Hart, Denny's crew chief said, hey, I need you to focus a little bit more on my cars, <laughs> on your car, <laughs> rather than you know the cars that you own in this race. Uh. And I know it's probably different from your perspective, but when you race in the Xfinity series, you never had guys driving for the team that you owned while you drove uh, for your I, own car, right? Yeah. Um, I actually did. Well, we had a two-car team come a couple of times with okay. a couple of guys, younger guys I was bringing in. Then actually my son Jason and I raced uh, uh, together uh, a couple of times, uh, the first one being here in Charlotte. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, but it, it, it was a distraction, and I, I'll never forget that day, uh, the first time that we raced against each other at Charlotte, uh, and I'm talking about Jason, my son, that we – I found myself – distracted in the race car even though I had a really good car only out qualified him by a hundredth of a second that and I thought I was pretty good at Charlotte and uh <laughs> but then you know as the race went on uh we we separated and so I was always wanting to know what was going on instead of maybe giving my full attention uh huh. to to me and my car as the driver there and so uh yeah it can be a distraction there's no doubt and that's interesting that that Denny because I did hear something I didn't know Chris Gavehart had said, hey, we need you focus back over here a little bit. But I, I could see where you could could get out, especially as they're running well. And, you know, you saw yeah. Kirk, he had speed all weekend. Bubba was having a good day also. Um, I think he said that – I read somewhere that he talked about how difficult that he couldn't even pass Bubba when right. he came up to him. And uh, uh, so, you know, I think he, he thought that he had a real shot there as an owner uh, to, to win one of these races. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. And you think about Talladega a couple weeks ago. They both had strong cars. Yeah. They both crash on the last lap. Mm -hmm. While Denny Hamlin's like – I think he was involved in that wreck too, and he's watching all of this around him. Not only is he – 
in trouble, <laughs> but both of his cars yes. are, are demolished. And so, yeah, you're right. I think that sort of did lead to him being so involved in invest of what was happening at Kansas and uh, and Gabe Hart saying that. And I, I'm not saying that there was any sort of no. tension or anything like no, that. Right. Gabe Hart, like, congratulated him after the race, but it was just like one of those things like, hey, you're still driving the number 11. Um, and you're right, DJ. I'm actually going to play that bite from Hamlin. So Kurt Busch wins the race for 2311, but Bubba Wallace had a car that probably would have finished top five, if not for a lot of pit crew problems. Like you mentioned, Denny Hamlin said that he actually thought Bubba's car was faster than Kurt. So Dustin Long from NBCSports.com caught up with both Bubba Wallace and Denny Hamlin after the race. Here's what Bubba said. Can you feel good about top 10 today? Nope, Victor sucks. And that was pretty much all Bubba said yeah. and then walked away. So then Dustin went to Denny Hamlin and he asked him about what he thought about Bubba being frustrated. You get a top 10 out of Bubba, but he was talking with him. He was frustrated with the uh, he should be. He should be frustrated. He had a much, he had a, listen, I, I passed 45 pretty early, easily in traffic. I couldn't pass the 23. And he was really, really fast. I mean, extremely fast. And the results just don't show it. But like I said, we're, as a team, we're, we're letting them down right now. I, I think just internally at, at JGR, we gotta we got to work through some issues on, on pit road, certainly. I think that uh, we have to figure out how to manage races. And uh, you don't always have to have Hail Mary stops, in my opinion. Sometimes you got to run the ball and have a solid stop with no mistakes to keep you in the game. So looking at the 2311 pit issues here for Bubba Wallace, DJ, I know that as a driver, you probably want to handle it as well as you can. And <laughs> Bubba obviously was frustrated, was angry. Is there anything you can do in that situation? I mean, it, he still finished 10th, but again, yep. he probably would have finished top five. And this has happened a few times this year. What's your advice, I guess, to Bubba Wallace at this point? Uh, it, it would it would be something that's just simple. I understand frustration, you know, when, when things like that happen. You know, I lost a few races uh, when, when we had some miscues in the pits. Now, I was frustrated about it, but I also realized that as a race driver, I made mistakes too. And But those guys took the car back and repaired it after I crashed it or did something, you know, that I shouldn't have done and should have been smarter at the time. Yeah. So my only advice would be, hey, just think about that, you know, they're working extremely hard. Uh, we all make mistakes. Um, don't, don't, if, if you feel that inside, that's one thing. But don't, don't say that publicly, you know, just... Go back, wait till the meetings on Monday or Tuesday, whenever they have them, uh, and and discuss this. That I think everybody within the organization probably knew something needed to be done, and, and they would address that. Just don't address it publicly. But you know, we're in a different time. You know, this, yeah. it, this group at, in 2022, um, they say everything kind of – I won't put them all in that category, but there's a lot of them that whatever's on their mind comes out of their mouth. And, uh, <laughs> hey, if it – you just have to understand – I. And, and, and if Bubba does this, that's fine because, as I said, they, he probably already has been a few days that he's made some mistakes. And But if they start criticizing him, which, you know, nobody's going to go to the pit crew and ask about that. But if, if they should happen to say that, then you got to you know, you got to man up and shoulder that too if they criticize you because you've criticized them. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I could just – I would think that just to keep peace, you can handle things a little bit better. Everybody knew that pit stops were – holding Bubba back from a, a top five and a chance at, at running up there with his teammate. And, you know, in, in a crazy way, I know he's happy for Kirk Bush. He's happy that their organization won. But when your teammate wins the race and you are frustrated because your pit crew uh, made some mistakes that kept you from even getting a shot 
to to do that and running with him, then then that makes things even worse. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy for me to sit here and say this, but everything you just said, especially about this, the younger generation, and Bubba is not my generation. He's definitely, <laughs> I think he's 20 years younger than me. I look at how they've kind of grown up in this era of social media, and it is different for them. But like everything you just said, I kind of compare it. Like sometimes I, when I'm, I'm tweeting, which I know you have no experience with whatsoever, <laughs> and I respect you immensely more and more each day for that, DJ. Sometimes you just got to ask yourself, what's to be gained? Yes, yes I want to tell the world this is how I feel. Yeah. But if yeah. there's no upside, you just have to resist there, the there, urge somehow. There was nothing good going to come from yeah. that comment right there. The Picker already knew that there was issues. Yeah. You know, they, they kept them from having, uh, as you pointed out, probably a top five run or at least an opportunity for that, maybe even better. So you don't need to tell them. They understand. You know, they, yeah. they get it. So yeah. you, you, don't need to, you don't need to call them out. That's doing, in my opinion, it's doing nobody any good by doing that. Uh, it's going to be addressed. Does it surprise you that we're seeing so many picker issues still this deep into the first season with one lug nut? We saw the 43 had some problems too uh-huh. as well with, I guess, getting the lug nut off is harder than people thought it might be. And yeah. you know, sometimes you can fasten them too hard. What do you make of what's happening? There? Yeah, not because I'm trying to be and act smart, but I, I'm not surprised at this whatsoever. I yeah. mean, you know, we did the others other way and – with other materials, other guns, everything completely different for 60, ever how many years. And yeah. and to do something totally new that even though I know all the parts and pieces uh, are made, do the, the things they're supposed to do, and it's supposed to be relatively simple, uh, it's not going to be that, especially when you're in a competition and you're trying to, to go as fast as you can. So there's, there's going to be issues, and I think that's going to continue. I honestly believe that somewhere in the playoffs that we're going to see something like this. I believe it's going to last that long. That wow. just It seems that when you've got five lug nuts and, and you get four of them on there really good and the one's not, well, that's not, that wasn't a big penalty to you, uh, no penalty at all, really, uh, yeah. unless it was multiple. And this one, you've, you've got one shot at, at each one of those, and, and that's all that it is. And it, it just takes a slight uh, mistake, and it seems like that's relatively easy to do. So it's just going to take more time, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we got so, or myself and probably some others in the media, got so caught up in, like, choreography and speed and, like, oh, how can it be harder? You're just changing one yeah. as opposed to five and didn't think about all the other variables involved here where, to your point, I mean, the equipment is just... I never thought about, like, that a single lug would be more difficult than five just because it's one. But that one, if you said, if you don't attach it right or you attach it the wrong way, it's just, it can really screw up your day. Yeah, and and as as everybody starts talking numbers, everybody thinks, we've got to beat that. We've got to do a little bit better. So anytime that you start pressing, uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how much faster they can get because it takes a certain amount of time to get the fuel in the things. And, uh, you know, so, but it, it's interesting. But that, that competition that they have inside them is always going to create issues and mistakes. And I think it's, you put all of that together and we're going to continue to see some. So issues with lug nuts at Kansas and also, DJ, some tire issues for several teams at Kansas Speedway. Unfortunately, in this instance, kind of a continuing trend uh, lately at some of these speedways. Dustin Long again caught up with several crew chiefs whose drivers had trouble after the race. He talked to Adam Stevens for Kyle Busch. Stevens said that he thought their tire problem was just a result of maybe running over debris. Dustin talked to James Small from Martin Drex Jr. And Small said that Goodyear probably would say teams are too aggressive and 
Small didn't think they were aggressive at all with Truex's setup, and he, you know, Small kind of speculated that you know maybe there's an issue here with a certain batch of Goodyear tires. The most expansive take on this, Dustin caught up with Alan Gustafson, Chase Elliott's crew chief, and Gustafson said, "The ability to fight through a tough weekend, and or not, you know, unload off truck and be perfect and get it really close is good because I think that's going to continue to happen, especially if they change this tire. I mean, this is all going to probably be out the window when the tire changes." So what happened with the tire today? Yeah, I don't know. It's you know it's something that's certainly been at the forefront of our mind. Yeah. We had the issue at, at Darlington, and we feel like we did what we needed to do to make sure it didn't happen again, protected against it here. We had all of our tires that came off, you know, inspected and cut apart by Goodyear, and they were all fine up until that point. So you know the randomness of it is certainly very concerning. Uh, you know, it's not like we're changing configurations. I mean, we could change air pressure, but uh, we did not throughout the day it just wasn't worth the risk so the randomness of it is concerning and, and i'm not really sure what to think about that I'm, and yeah try to figure out uh some of it you know 24 having their issue there were enough configuration differences between the two of us that you know it's just hard to draw one conclusion is there a concern this is the same tire as texas oh yeah yeah i mean it's this is a this is a pretty big trend i mean this is not a blip on the radar. This is a this is a this is a pretty big trend that we've obviously seen a lot of. Certainly in Darlington uh, and now here throughout practice on the race, so it's a very big concern. Yeah. So what to make of all that, DJ? I mean, we often hear teams complain about mandatory tire pressures and about construction, but it seems as if this is kind of across the board. And, you know, obviously Goodyear is the supplier here, the exclusive supplier. And you have Alan Gustafson hinting that he thinks they're probably going to have to consider a mile and a half tire change and, and that maybe this will still be a big concern heading to the all-star race at Texas. So uh, you've dealt with tire problems before. What do you make of everything you saw? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely an issue here. Uh, I, I don't think that we can put all of this on the teams. Now, whether it's a certain batch, I don't. I, I think that goes beyond that because they're using a lot of these tires and they're going through uh, a lot in these times. And, and when you have it at, at Darlington, which is – uh, not as much of a, a load that you're putting on this as what you are at Kansas, um, but you have the, the, the same type issues. And everyone, I won't say everyone, but the majority of them were, were cautious, uh, more cautious, I believe, at Kansas, trying not to make it happen. And I, I think there is an issue. now, And that's not, I'm not putting a blame on Goodyear. I think that it goes just like we were talking about the pit stops and, and the one lug nut and thing. You know, this is something totally new. And Goodyear's made tires for every form of motorsports in the entire world at some point in time. They have the best people, I believe, in my opinion, uh, the best engineers, the best people uh, making uh, these tires. Uh, but I think we've seen over the years that NASCAR stock cars do things when they are put in competition that and they re, things happen that that you just don't anticipate uh, that are going to happen at certain places and so I think there's going to have to be some real consideration here that it may take uh, for certain racetracks uh, with a certain amount of banking and load um, that there there may take uh, something a little bit different than what they have right now. You kind of alluded to it, but something I've heard from teams and somewhat from Goodyear, certainly from NASCAR as well, is that that box that they've kind of been placed in with each iteration of car over the years, it just becomes more and more difficult to try to build a tire yeah. that can meet the specifications 
of a stock car. You know, I compare it to IndyCar, and I know IndyCar is a completely different animal, but they have an exclusive tire supplier in Firestone, and they don't seem to have these problems. Now, again, yep. that's a totally different race car, so I don't want to like say, hey, they're good, good years, bad. But I do want to delve into a little bit of, is it just the stock car is heavier? Is that is that a big part of it? That's or? a big part of it, yeah. uh, the, the heaviness of it. Uh, it. And we have a totally different chassis here than, yeah. than what has ever been run before. So right. to think that everything was going to be just fine coming out with this, uh, I, I think that uh, I think that's a real stretch. Uh, I know Goodyear did a lot of testing with this car, but a lot of things changed about this car just before the season, which a lot of them were really good things for competition side because a lot of the drivers that I talked to were very concerned that they weren't going to be able to put on a good race with these with these cars. And so a lot of changes were made. Has Goodyear had time to develop and, and go with that with what it took to make the cars more drivable, more raceable, even though they're still very difficult to handle as we've seen some of the best uh, lose control of these cars. So I, th- I think there are some, some changes that need to be made because you're, you're – racing every single weekend it's not like Goodyear can be going and testing you have to make these tires far enough in advance so that they have a little bit of time it's not like you can make them one week and be ready to race them the next week uh, because that's that's hard to do and and I want to avoid piling on because Kansas was a really good race despite the rash of tire was that teams had and you go back the last couple of weeks I mean Darlington was a really good race in terms of the, the way the tires were Dover a lot of people said that that was one of the best over races in years because yep. of the tire wear. So it's critical that they do this. Yes. That, that, but hitting it right, I think, maybe leaves them on a razor's edge sometimes. Oh, certainly. And, and it's, you know, it, it's always going to be, if it's, if it's not happening to everybody, then you can't really say at this point in time that it's Goodyear's problem. Yeah, you know? yeah, if, yeah. If everybody had had a flat tire or, you know, 90% had, then you, then you might can say that. that there, but I still believe that there's room for improvement there. And, and I, I, I know I know the engineers. I know many of them are still there. A lot of them uh, were with Goodyear whenever I was racing. And, and they, you know, we had a lot of great discussions and the smartest people in the world uh, in this business. And I, I know that they're willing to do whatever they need to. And But they, you have to understand, too, the, the cost of this and, and it being something new is astronomical to them. So it's hard for them to take and make a certain tire for every single racetrack because each one of them is different. So I think you take the weight of the car, the new suspension, and Goodyear not having maybe enough time uh, with some changes that have been made, uh, that there are some issues there. So I think this will be something that we'll work through. Are we going to be patient enough to get to that point? We'll certainly be watching this all-star race next week at a mile-and-a-half speedway at Texas. And, of course, Coca-Cola 600 the week after that at the mile-and-a-half speedway at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Hopefully it won't continue to be an issue. We won't be there. Um, (laughs) We will be elsewhere. I will be in Indianapolis the next two weeks. So this will be the last NASCAR and NBC podcast until post-Gateway. And you, DJ, will also be in Indianapolis for the Indy 500 on May 29th, which will be broadcast on NBC. First Indy 500 that you've attended. Yes. What are you looking forward to? I think as I've watched it over the years, uh, and I can, this goes all the way back to when I was a kid, and I was trying to remember exactly the year, but remember my dad, he had retired from racing, so we're talking 68, maybe 69, um, that 
It, it, it wasn't on TV. We went to watch it on closed-circuit TV in Charlotte. That's uh, how big it was. He took me to, to do that. And, and um, so I, I've always just been so enamored with the whole pageantry of, of everything to, to begin with. But the talents and, and the sheer speed, especially after I was able to race there, uh, to think that how much faster those Indy cars go than what our stock cars could go around Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, just incredible. And, and and the racing over, gosh, what, the last seven, eight, maybe ten years at, at Indianapolis has gotten even more incredible uh, th than what we'd seen uh, before that. So I I'm just looking forward to getting there, being a part, and just you know not having to watch it on TV, even though NB our NBC crew does a fantastic <laughs> do. job of setting it all up. Uh, I I'm just looking forward to being there and, and to – Going around to some different areas, I, I went for qualifying a couple of years ago, and as I walked around and saw just the, you know, you can, you can talk about 220 and 230 miles an hour, and you can say it, but when you get there and see these cars go that fast around there, uh, it's just amazing. So I'm, I'm anxious to see, you know, over 30 cars out there at the same time and, and making that happen and, and just being a part of just, you know, being a fan more than anything else. Yeah, well, there's a lot to be a fan of this year. I mean, the storylines – Again, are amazing. You've got Elio Castroneves going not just for two in a row, trying to become the first guy to do that since he did it in 0102, but also trying to become the first five-time Indy yeah. 500 winner ever. Wow. Uh, you know, a, a race that's in its 106th edition, <laughs> and this could, you could be witnessing, like, maybe the most incredible historic achievement of all time. But you've also got uh, a class of seven rookies, one of whom is Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> who I think you know well, NASCAR seven-time cup champion. So the only other guys who have won the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500 DJ are Mario Andretti and A.J. Foyt. And Jimmy, of course, is going to have a chance to do that here in a couple of weeks. I had Kyle Petty on the podcast a couple months ago, and he talked about what he thought the significance of that would be the magnitude as a past NASCAR cup champion and Daytona 500 winner, three-time Daytona 500 winner, what would it mean, I guess, to have oh. Jimmy become, <laughs> to join Foyt and Andretti as, a, as an Indy 500, Daytona 500 winner? I think the way that I look at it, first of all, it doesn't seem that long ago that Jimmy Johnson, I remember him being a rookie at, <laughs> right. at the Cup Series. Right, uh, right. But, and then, of course, all his accomplishments since that time. But to even think about that, that you could say Jimmy Johnson in the same sentence, uh, as accomplishing something that A.J. Foyt and Mario Andretti did. Just incredible. And and I, I won't take anything away from the way that they did it by winning their Indy 500s and then winning the Daytona 500. Yeah. Uh, but for Jimmy to be a stock car guy and, and then go, and if he's able to accomplish this, and, and I'm going to be pulling every lap for him, uh, <laughs> not nothing against anyone else, uh, sure. but hoping that he can get this done and, and, and make that uh, a threesome there that, that would be uh, just unbelievable and uh, just incredible feat. And so uh, I, I hope that he can pull that off. But to, to go from those stock cars and then get in an Indy car and go win the Indianapolis 500. But, you know, I – we talked about Kirk Bush being able to go there as a rookie and finish sixth. I, I think Jimmy has every bit of that chance to, to go better that and possibly win this race. Yeah, people say we're crazy, but he finished sixth in his first time on an IndyCar Oval in Texas a couple of months ago. Yeah. And uh, people said the same thing about Kurt in 2014. That the knock was, you can't just make this transition and not, he hadn't run any other races. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy's coming with the experience of having run in the series, and he's also got what Kurt had. Kurt joined an Andretti Autosport entry 
at a time when Andretti was considered kind of top of the ball game. And Jimmy's coming in with a Ganassi team that obviously has won this race, yep. finished second last year with Alex Pillow. I just I don't think it's as far fetched as maybe people realize when no, when we no, talk about this. No, but and, and because I think one thing too is throughout his entire career in, in stock cars and winning seven championships and eighty some races, is that what he won? Um, yeah. He, I don't think he was given enough credit as to how good he really is as a race driver. And, and so I think that that's carrying over to here uh, because he hadn't gone in there and made a music success. And it's so hard. It's not, there's nothing easy about that at all. I don't care how talented you are, but I, I think this is going to be his best opportunity. And, uh, uh, again, let's hope that he can join those guys. Yeah, it would be something to watch, uh, something we'll get to watch in person. And uh, looking forward to that, just uh, yep. like I look forward to having you here. Thanks for being here, DJ. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Nate. Our thanks again to NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks to NASCAR and NBC producers Emily Conboy and Aaron Feldstein for lining up DJ as our guest. As you heard me mention, this will be the last post-race NASCAR and NBC podcast for a little while. I'm in Indianapolis for most of the next two weeks covering everything at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I'll have lots of Indy 500 content and stories that you can read at Motorsports Talk. That's at NBCSports.com motors. You can go there to read what I'm writing at NBCSports.com motors. Also, hopefully we'll have some Indy 500 podcast content for this feed as well. So stay tuned and then stay tuned for the next NASCAR and NBC podcast post-race edition That'll be coming in early June after the first cup race at Gateway. A reminder that we also taped this podcast on camera ahead of NASCAR America Motormouths in our NBC Sports Charlotte studio. Motormouths airs Mondays and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. And all the Motormouths episodes and clips are on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. You also can find lots more great content and highlights daily, as well as the on-camera version of this podcast. So make sure you visit and subscribe to the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. And if you have any NASCAR on NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.